Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 88 with Dan Caspi. Dan is just an absolute science genius who I have entrusted to automate a number of things on my computer in terms of writing custom software pieces. And so I just thought he's got a lot of smarts and perspective. Let's bring him on the show. And he did not disappoint. So you're going to learn one processes that you can automate that you didn't even know you needed to. Two nifty hacks to help you maximize Excel. And three, a checklist to serve your need for computer speed. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, you'll find that over there at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep88. And while you're there, I recommend you take a look around. You might try our 10 Days to Winning at Work email course full of tips and tricks to reduce waste and get more stuff done in a funner way over the course of work or the Gold Nuggets list, which summarizes insights from guests and all kinds of cool stuff. So check out awesomeatyourjob.com and the goodies to be had there. But first, here's a story about Dan. Daniel has a PhD in organic chemistry and is a senior scientist at AbbVie. He is also currently serving in a hybrid process chemical engineering position as a member of the Center for Reaction Engineering. Daniel is highly proficient with technology, programming, including Perl, Python, PHP, JavaScript, and HTML, and computers, and is the computer genius behind Element 26, a boutique computer consulting company based in Evanston, Illinois. Here's Dan. Dan, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks, Pete. It's great to be here. Well, you know, your credentials are so fascinating. Like, it absolutely gives the impression that you're a super genius with a PhD in organic chemistry, which is like notoriously one of the hardest classes people hate in college. (laughs) And you're running a computer consulting company, which has some sophisticated little coding projects and stuff called Element 26. Can you tell us like, how does that even work in real life that you can do both these things? Are there like some synergies in your brain or what's going on? Great question. So I'm definitely a busy guy. You've got that right. I just love problem solving and puzzles. I always have since I was a little kid. And so it's really just another expression for me of how to do it. In fact, I found computers a lot earlier than I found chemistry, but there's totally a lot of overlap for me in that way, in terms of the space in my brain, because at work, I solve really complex puzzles and I love the computer side of things as well. That's really cool. And so I'm just so curious, Element 26, what does that mean as the name of your company? (laughs) Great question. So Element 26, I mean, sort of an allusion there to the periodic table. So the 26th element is iron. And the story for why I chose it goes back a bit. But I mean, iron is a a really cool element. I mean, it's a very ubiquitous metal. It's used in the manufacture of steel. And it's also one of the metals that allows us to even breathe. I mean, hemoglobin requires Mm -hmm. iron to bring oxygen into our body. So it's kind of got a number of really kind of powerful purposes in our world. And I thought it was a great choice for a name. Okay. Well, that is fun. Yeah. It feels infused with some power when you put it that way. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And so now what are the sorts of computer problems that, you know, your company is tackling here? It's not like your big old enterprise platform integrations for companies, but it's a rather unique and cool, as far as I know, although I'm not in the know, kind of niche that you're filling when it comes to what you produce with custom software and such. Could you speak a bit about that? Absolutely. So the stuff I do, it spans the gamut, I would say, but I prefer to work on really kind of challenging and complex and nuanced problems, which I would say most of the time, maybe up to the small or even medium-sized business level. Um, Sometimes I have worked on uh, enterprise-level solutions, but typically for large clients, but a small division within that large client. So it ends up kind of feeling more, again, more like a small company. Because the types of problems I work on, I mean, it could be anything from you know, fixing a pop-up message on someone's computer. Mm-hmm. You have a platform going right now with UCLA uh, to basically bring organic chemistry to, you know, college students all around the country and get them inspired and motivated to do that. So, I mean, just totally spans the gamut, everything in between. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. And that's kind of how I found you was, you know, it's funny. Part of me thought, oh, Pete, you just need to chill out like this part of you that loves to optimize the snot out of every little thing. But I sought you out because I was looking for a computer solution in which I had to conduct a little task that takes maybe 30 seconds, but I have to do it hundreds of times a year. And I thought, you know, that's worth a few hundred bucks to just like get that solved and have those minutes of my life back. And you did a heck of a job. So thank you for that. I've been enjoying it. It works great. Oh, great. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) In terms of getting some online forums filled out all the faster in a custom application. So that's pretty cool. So could you maybe give us an example of other things that your typical professional might appreciate having automated in their life that maybe they didn't even think they would need or want automated in their life? Sure. So let's take an example that I think a lot of different professionals face, you know, like they schedule appointments with clients and then they want to send a reminder to that client, right, of their pending appointment. This is a process where, you, you know, you're moving appointments all the time and then you're reminding clients that maybe somebody cancels, they want to reschedule. And that's something that a lot of people face. And although there are plenty of solutions out there, I think what I have found is that most, especially like small businesses, you know, even individual proprietors face is that they don't want that kind of clunky, big time solution that manages everything. They just need to send their clients a couple of reminders. And also they're managing a lot of their stuff off of their iPhone or off of, you know, the Google platform or what have you, something kind of smaller. And that's how they prefer to keep it. And so, you know, basically connecting that for them to make that process easy to maybe text reminders to people or send them automated emails and, take some of the kinks out of that process that works with their business. I've done quite a bit of that. And, you know, I think it's one of those areas, like you were saying, for the project we worked on together, everyone knows there could be a better way, you know, but Mm -hmm. to kind of take the next step and talk about it and see what might be involved to do it. So you've got something that does that and that we can get easily? I have implemented it for different clients, but I would say, you know, 95% of the work that I do is completely custom because I've found once again, And this is the kind of thing, right? If you want the -the out-of-the-box, off-the-shelf solution, then there's probably a website out there for you, and you've probably looked at it, and it probably doesn't exactly fit your needs. Mm -hmm. And this is a challenge I've found time and time again, 
And, you know, even with large businesses, actually, many times those large platforms don't really fit the need. But the thing is, they don't have the resources to invest to basically create that from scratch for, you know, 20,000 or 30,000 employees. They just don't have that kind of ability or desire to specialize. And because at that point, that's what it would take. But, you know, for, like I said, a small business or, you know, maybe 50 person company, you know, they want something that's going to give that level of personal appeal to their customers and clients and is going to make their life easier. And they probably have some unique parts of their process or unique quirks about them and how they work and how they think about things. And so what I like to do is allow people to keep all of those and still automate the process. All right. So could you maybe give us some extra examples in terms of things that may not even occur to us that, hmm, I'd like that automated or like, you know, I guess maybe projects that you've done or common repetitive tasks that can cease for folks that you've gotten a chance to intervene with. Okay, sure. I mean, it really, it's funny the different kinds of projects that I've gotten. Sometimes there are challenges that I wouldn't have even necessarily thought of were challenges for people. You know, one thing I've seen is that, you know, let's say organizing photos mm-hmm. is kind of a big one, right? And so I did a project for a client where they have actually a massive photo library. There's actually a bunch of photographers and they have this massive photo library and there's duplicates of mm. these photos all over scattered, right? Because they're editing the photos or not editing the photos. And now they have this library of like terabytes of photos. And how do I organize this together? Another common one that I've seen is that people are required to upload things to a website, let's say in a specific format. So You know, there was one car dealership I was working with and they have to upload all the pictures of the various cars. And, you know, the cars have to have the correct model number and serial number. So they're basically copying files, renaming them to match the various stock numbers and such. And it ends up just taking a lot of time. And so this kind of repetitive, like either finding duplicates or renaming files or organizing things automatically definitely get that a lot. I've also gotten quite a bit of things where, you know, let's say people are producing reports or Mm -hmm. letters for people and that's coming out of some data source, right? And so, you know, obviously Word has this mail merge feature, which does something like that, but they want something a little bit more sophisticated where like, you know, for every client, they want an official form that's produced with all the notes from that and it has their letterhead and everything. And, you know, they're doing dozens of these every day or they have a series of reports and they have you know 100 clients and every client gets a different subsection of these reports and they have to organize a separate report for every client so i definitely see a lot of these kind of manual tasks that i think many people are just accustomed to going at it the manual way you know Mm -hmm. because there's not like a great way to do that in an automated fashion that like there's not some commercial utility out there that's going to do that effectively All right. Yes. And so you haven't really plugged yourself. So I will for just a couple hundred dollars, you know, Dan (laughs) and the Element 26 team may well be able to make some frustration disappear from your life. So you could probably make an easy business case as I did for myself in terms of what are my hours worth and how many hours is this going to save me, which you might be able to share with the boss. So that's one option is just hire you to make the thing for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. What are some, maybe some do it yourself options? 
Are there any kind of you know flexible tools that you use the automator for Mac and program that a little bit, which is kind mm-hmm. of cool? You know, what are some other tools or resources or things folks can lean to to get a little bit of automation going for themselves without having to hire someone or dig deep into a programming language? Okay, good question. So definitely, if you're on a Mac platform, I love Automator. I love Apple Script too, but that's kind of diving into the realm of programming language. But I think for something simple. Automator is a really great tool. I also really love Excel, Mm -hmm. actually. Excel can be used in a lot of ways that are perhaps, let's say, non-traditional, but pretty powerful. You know, like a lot of times people might want to prepare a table in a specific way where they have like this massive amount of data and they're like, I only want to include this subsection of data or I have to rename anybody that starts with an A to a special other code and doing this kind of find and replace, like massive kinds of finds and replace And Excel actually has a lot of features built in that will do that. And so I find that a lot of people don't really take advantage of the power of Excel. They think they need a macro or something when, in fact, a lot of that can just be done with just a basic Excel formula. Now I got to go here because I love Excel. Are there a couple (laughs) formulas that are like overlooked, but just like pack a punch? Like what are you actually typing in that equals function bar? I see. So, (laughs) you know, there are a bunch, obviously. There's a lot of lookup functions So there's this combination of index and match. That's a popular combination. And you can use that to sort of find things in another table. There's another nice one. I think it's called MID, MID. Oh, right. So I think left and right also Mm -hmm. work. Yeah. So you can use that to parse a string. So let's say you wanted to remove a digit or remove a letter. You can, you know, extract out a subsection of a string like that. And I mean, the index function is great too. That's just, you know defined if something is in another place. So you can actually build a very powerful Excel, just an Excel sheet that can help you automate a lot of your daily tasks, whatever kind of data arrangement that you need for whatever you're doing. It's a pretty powerful platform. Oh, that's handy. So you're saying that by using some of these fancy script parsing functions, such as, you know, left, right, mid, I like find as well. You put a find Mm -hmm. inside of mid. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. We are so dorking out, but that's all good. You can do that here (laughs) is that you could maybe just paste a dirty raw chunk of info into Excel and then use some of these functions to snag just what you need without doing a lot of navigating, deleting, finding, replacing for the same purpose. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, Excel is great. I mean, there are better ways if you're comfortable with programming languages for a lot of this, but most people I think are decently comfortable with Excel. So it's a good place to start. And for the listener who thinks, well, wait, index and match as a combination allows me to jump inside and reference another table, but doesn't my VLOOKUP already do that for me? What would you say to that skeptic? Yeah, so VLOOKUP does, but there's some kind of interesting Excel quirks and VLOOKUP is one of them. And so depending on how your table is actually sorted, VLOOKUP might return the wrong row. Row? Yes. So let's say you have 100 entries in a table and you're searching for a particular entry. And let's say that table is not sorted. Okay. And so you're looking for a particular price of an item. And let's say there's three items in that table that have the same price. Mm -hmm. And when it searches, it will retrieve the first item in the list. If there's duplicates. And it won't. Yeah, if there is duplicates. And a a lot of times there are. So VLOOKUP can be very good, but there's some kind of idiosyncrasies of it. And if you're not familiar with it, it can be very frustrating. 
No, I hear you. What gets me is if you're inserting a column and then the number you put in there for what column you reference is now no longer the column that you want because it doesn't auto update that part. Mm, sure. Yep. Okay. Thank you. So we went deep. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so Excel is a handy tool. Automator is good on the Mac platform. Anything else before we have to start touching code? You know, there are these kind of tools, you know, and kind of shortcuts that people can make, but I think they're not going to get you that far unless you're going to be comfortable with programming. I mean, you can kind of make a few things easier for yourself, but the real power definitely comes with custom code. Okay, so now let's talk custom code. So now, I think in some ways that intimidates folks like, oh boy, you know, not me. Mm-hmm. Not, I've seen those little curly braces and the, that just go on and on and on. And I accidentally pushed view source on a website once <laughs> and it terrifies me. So maybe some folks are feeling that way. Can you say, you know, are there any languages you think have a good bang for their buck in terms of, you know what, you could learn enough to know some things in three hours with this language and actually be able to pull off some acceleration in your daily work? You know, what would you point folks to to start learning? So I'm probably going to be maybe one of the few people that is not going to point people to a specific language okay. right off the bat. And I'm going to say that I would start with something that you want to do. Okay. And then pick the right language for that. But in some ways, programming languages are no different than, you know, verbal languages. So if you want to say something in English or you want to say something in Spanish, right, there are certain structures that end up being very similar, certain sentence structures that end up being very similar, and even like verb, pronoun, all these kind of concepts. And programming is no different. And so there's sort of a limited subset of common logical statements that are part of programming, right? You have the if statement. If this happens, do this. Otherwise, do this other thing. Or you can have a loop, like I want you to do a loop of these set of activities 20 times. Every programming language offers this kind of logic. Mm -hmm. And so really, I think programming is all about understanding the logic. And if you understand that, then it doesn't really... I mean, yes, there's. I'm not going to say there's not nuances, a variety of different languages, and some are going to be harder and easier and maybe more useful for what you're trying to do or less useful. But in general, I think it's all about understanding the logic. So pick something that you're excited to learn in the same way that if you want to learn to play music, pick an instrument that you want to play, you know, and then once you understand the piano, you know, yes, the flute is totally different, but it has a similar subset of notes. So you can kind of put it together that way. Okay, understood. And I think one of my favorite ways to sort of dip the toe in is if you get inside, say, Excel or something, and then Mm -hmm. in the macro toolbar and push Mm -hmm. record and then do a few things that you would do yourself and then end Mm -hmm. the record. One, you might have a usable macro you can use again and again. (laughs) So, hey, you just automated something already. (laughs) And two, you could actually sort of peek under the hood a little bit and then see the code. Is like, how is that thing I've just done represented within this programming language and okay well what if i could say hey do it not just five times but as many times as there are rows google how do i get a row count and then before you know it you're like bit by bit making some things happen and feeling that gratification of kind of incrementally learning and doing a bit more and a bit more i think that's a great point i mean i think one of the fun parts about programming pete is the ability to you know basically push the envelope and say, what can I do with that? How can I do that? And really just try it because that's the beauty. I mean, unless you're trying to delete your whole hard drive, I mean, it shouldn't be destructive. Yeah. So you can really just play around until you get to a place that, you know, like you said, everything's working great. 
I will say one of the cautions about the record macro, which I really like that also, is that sometimes there are, especially in programming and many other applications too, there are 20 different ways to accomplish a task. Mm -hmm. And some of those are going to be really great. And some of those are going to lead to some problems or bugs down the road. And so when you hit record, it's just going to give you one way. Okay. And so, you know, I think it's a great way to learn though. And, you know, maybe in the course of doing that record macro and you try to play it back another time, it doesn't work. And you're saying, well, why doesn't it work? And then, you, you know, that can be kind of a fun game, perhaps, if you're into that sort of thing mm-hmm. of trying to figure out where the problem is. Okay, that's really handy. And so now I guess I'd like to get your take on maybe backing it up, maybe a little bit more pedestrian computer problem. Mm-hmm. I think we've all been here before. It's like, hey, why is my computer running slow now? It used to run fast, but now it's slow and I don't like it. I'm getting the mm-hmm. little waiting hourglass or beach ball or whatnot. And so I am sure, again, there could be like dozens or more of potential causes for this. But what's your checklist? If someone's like, hey, my computer's slow, you know, what do you look at first versus second versus third? Because they tend to be high probability and high payoff activities of things to accelerate a machine. Sure. You've probably nailed the universal complaint, right? Everyone thinks it's slow. And I think, you know, I'll definitely give you some tips in a second, but what I think is really funny about it is there's this funny thing that happens, right? When you get a new computer, the first thing you say is how fast it is, right? Mm -hmm. And then on its last legs, you can't believe how slow it is. (laughs) And I think it's just part of the world we live in, right? You get really accustomed to a certain thing and then it becomes normal and then it no longer feels fast. Oh, yeah. Right. And so I think a lot of times if people were to actually do some benchmarking, you know, you might actually find it's the same speed, but it's your perception that's different. I mean, I think that's true of most of our devices, right? Like after owning it a couple of years, it just somehow feels slower because the rest of the world is moving faster. But definitely there are some things I look at. That's not to say that everyone's case is totally without warrant or cause. A lot of times, you know, over the course of owning a computer, there's a lot of security updates and maybe operating system updates that end up getting pushed. And sometimes those definitely have an impact on a machine, especially if it's older. So, you know, operating systems are typically designed to support the newest machines. And so, you know, as your machine does become more dated, you're definitely going to be in the realm of the world where, you know, nobody's going to be considering your machine as much. And what impact is that going to have? And anyone with, let's say, an iPhone or an Android, you know, you put a newer operating system on there, sometimes you find that performance really lags. So I'll just throw that out there because that's something that's always happening in the background. Yeah. Is that everyone's always updating their applications and they're no longer being designed for your computer, probably. But I think the common things I look for are going to be, especially on a Windows machine, are going to be viruses and spyware. Spyware in particular is a real killer of performance. And what do you use to clean that up? Uh, you know, Malware Bytes makes a nice program And I like that one. It's called Mm anti-malware. And uh, I like that one. But, you know, I will say that most of the time when I work on clients' machines, I might use a variety of different programs because they all have different strengths and they all might pick up something a little bit different. Okay. On both Mac and Windows machine, a lot of times there's programs running in the background. You know, they run on startup and sometimes they're running in a hidden mode. And so, you know, I like to clear those out. I also do like to update a lot of, you know, browsers to the newest setting and things like that. And I like to, I would say, review any existing browser extensions. A lot of times 
all of these little plugins and extensions end up having a big impact on things. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I'll add another one, which is maybe it's not, it's something that I think a lot of people might find a little odd, but it's a, kind of an interesting flaw that makes things slow is your internet connectivity. Tell me more. If you live in an area or you're on an internet connection that goes in and out, your computer, like all computers in this day and age, right, they expect some kind of communication with the internet. And so not all programmers write their code in such a way to deal with things timing out. Hmm. And so let's say there's an internet drop in the middle, it might freeze your whole screen. Let's say you're linked over to Dropbox or you're linked over to your Google Drive and you're trying to access that folder and it's taking it like a minute or two minutes to get access to that folder. Your whole computer is waiting for that sequence to happen. So it really depends what you're trying to do and your internet connection can really play a big role. Oh, yeah. So you're talking about if I have Google Drive, not so much just the website that I'm interacting Mm -hmm. with, but like installed on my computer itself, the client. Right. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. And I've also discovered that, I guess, when your hard drive is full-ish, you know, not like 100% full, but like Mm -hmm. 95% full, that mm-hmm. makes a world of a difference on the slowdown. Absolutely, yes, yes. You need some free space on your computer for temporary files and you know your cache and all of that. So absolutely, that can be a big help. And you know, the other thing I can mention sort of related to the head is that these days a lot of people end up with like massive amounts of email and massive amounts of music and photo libraries. Mm-hmm. And sometimes... You know, if you leave those things running in the background, let's say you have an email client open with 50,000 messages or you have a, you know, let's say a Chrome browser open with 25 tabs, all of those things have to be loaded into memory to some degree. Mm -hmm. And so you're just chewing up your available resources on that. And that just ends up being in the background. You know, I'm intrigued by that concept of loading into memory because it seems like gigabytes of RAM have just sort of expanded and expanded. And so is there any way that I can like proactively tell a program I want to run super fast to be like preloaded and like at the top of the RAM queue or pecking order. I don't even know if these computer words are sensible, but, but <laughs> that's what I would think is like, hey, it seems like I've got way more RAM that I actually need. Can I like tell it what I want it to do and why like this is the program I want locked and loaded for super quickness? You can do that to some extent, sort of, but the reality is that it comes down to the programmer and it comes down to the person that wrote that program saying, hey, Somebody wants to, you know, run this in a very high performance mode. Can you improve the code? It might take over 90% of their machine, but that's okay because that, you know, let's say you're processing, you know, let's say you're doing some image processing or something and you're, so you're running through, you know, dozens and dozens or thousands of files and you're like, I want this thing to just crank. So, you know, the programmer would then have to write the code to specifically do that. And, you know, a lot of times, programmers may not think of your particular application or, you know, they say, I don't want to write a program that might bring somebody's machine to a you know, grinding halt. That's not very considerate, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So these are the kinds of things. But I will say a lot of developers these days are online and you can interact with them. Maybe not so much for the big companies as easily, but a lot of smaller developers are online. And if you shoot them a quick note and say, hey, I really love your program, but hey, it'd be great if it could do this or that. A lot of people are very responsive. And so that can be like a fun way to get that favorite feature that you wanted or have something loaded a bit faster. Some programs do offer that. 
like I think Adobe Acrobat as an example offers that kind of preloading or, you know, Skype has that too, where it just sits in your taskbar kind of ready to go. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. Well, now you tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure that we cover off before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? You know, I, I think in general, I'll say that most people out there, I think have had probably a bad experience with a program or a piece of software that maybe scarred them a little bit. Mm-hmm. I hear these kind of stories all the time. And what I try to do, right, is bring the value to what technology can really do for people and help them see how really powerful and great it can be. Because, you know, when everything's working right, it's really incredible. And, you know, that's something I really try to bring to everything that I do is to have that incredible feeling shown when you use it so you can really experience what technology can do for you. And, you know, I just imagine the first person that ever got into a car, right, or ever got into an airplane, like a commercial airplane, like the first person that was there. I want that same kind of incredible experience for people. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I like that frame. Thank you. Okay. Well, then, could you now share with us a favorite quote to kick it off? Sure. So one of my favorite quotes actually comes from Steve Jobs. And I don't recall the exact details of the quote, but it's something along the lines of that simplicity actually is a lot harder to get to than something that's complex. Yeah. And what I love about that is he says that simplicity is actually a much harder goal. And I really agree with that. I think that coming up with something really refined and simple is just beautiful in the end. And I know that's a philosophy that Apple's taken for many, many years, and it's one that I love as well. Mm, thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or piece of research? I'm very fascinated with the space program. I think there's a lot of really cool research that's come out of the space program and it's found applications in countless things that we use every day, you know, and I think they've produced a lot of great research. I guess in general that these kind of challenges that are maybe are not in our existing discipline like space, maybe some of us will go to space in our lifetimes, but the fact is that all of the technology and research to solve those kinds of problems can be used in other areas and other aspects of our lives. And so that kind of crossover I love. Mm-hmm. And I think it presents a really interesting and unique set of challenges for scientists to work on. Absolutely. And how about a favorite book? I love the Malcolm Gladwell series of books, mm-hmm. you know, like Outliers and The Tipping Point. I really like that kind of way of thinking and how he breaks down a lot of things and finds patterns. I really like that series. Okay. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that's been really helpful in your effectiveness? I've been working out consistently, you know, like three to four days a week for years. And I find that it's like no matter what, the first thing I do in my week is I schedule my workouts. There's a discipline to it, right? But I know that I'm kind of putting myself first, that my health always comes first before anything else. And I've always fit that in. And so I really love it (laughs) at this point. Well, that's great. And could you speak to maybe some of the benefits you notice in your life from exercise, kind of above and beyond just having physical fitness and good body composition? Sure. I think it makes me like more versatile, like, you know, even sort of basic things like, you know, carrying your luggage through the airport or being able to do things. I mean, all of the kind of activities, I don't have any pain from any of those activities. And I also find that it brings me a real sense of grounding. A lot of people talk about the pleasure of actually taking international flight because you're sort of unplugged from the world, right? Nobody can contact you. Like emails are coming in maybe, but you're not able to access them. And 
I really find the same about the gym. I mean, I turn all that stuff off and I'm just there and working out. And I feel like it brings me a lot of peace in that way, actually, despite all the yelling. (laughs) (laughs) An intense gym. (laughs) (laughs) And how about your best way to be contacted? If folks want to learn more or check out what you're up to, where would you point them? Absolutely. So my website is element26.net. So they can definitely contact me there. And I'll give out my email as well. It's dan at element26.net. And if they want to give me a call, 847-984-0844. I'm available through all of those means. I think I'm definitely willing and able to speak to folks about their individual automation challenges and the kind of the key issues they're facing and talk further about how I might be able to help them. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Well, Dan, is there a final challenge or call to action you'd like to issue forth to those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? I think really it's about taking the next step. And I think most people have identified that there's something that they're doing repetitively. And these days we depend so much on technology. I mean, the speed of your internet connection, you know, the speed of your computer, all these things are impacting productivity on a day-to-day basis. And I would guess I would challenge people to think about how much time they might save if those activities that they were doing, let's say waiting for your computer to boot up or like you were doing, Pete, right? Like copying in all those names to the form and pasting it. Like how many times a day are you doing that? And what else would you do with all of that time? And what's that worth to you? And I think there's a lot of kind of just general frustration that people become accustomed to. And I would challenge them to uh, take a step back for a minute and think about what they might really be able to get out of what they're doing if all of those concerns were alleviated. That's great. Thank you. Well, Dan, this has been a whole lot of fun. I wish you lots of luck in discovering pharmaceuticals and computer science challenges and life and your upcoming wedding. It's been a great time. Thank you so much, Pete. It's been great for me too. Oh, that's so cool. So much good stuff. Did you know Excel had all those goodies under the hood? Did you know there could be malware that's just quietly sapping some of your resources? One more thing that Dan did mention offline, we had the recorder off, is the power of a solid state drive or SSD type of hard disk, except it's not a hard disk. It is the thing you store all your stuff on on your computer can take the format of either a solid state drive or a more traditional spinning platter hard disk drive or SSD, or HDD. I think they're abbreviated. So we've got a link to some of the benefits of that and just how speedy that can be by simply swapping out your hard drive, which would cost a couple hundred bucks, and you're worth it. Because time is money, either yours or your company's that is paying you. So once again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep88. And I hope you'll punch the subscribe button if you have not already, because next episode's kind of a special one. Just before Thanksgiving, I will be giving my thanks to the fans of this show. That's folks like you. And I've compiled a number of those tips I asked for a bit ago in terms of how to be awesome at your job. So you're going to hear from numerous voices all at once as a kind of a lighter, funner episode just before there's a lot of heavy eating occurring on the next day, Thursday Thanksgiving holiday in the United States. So that's the scoop. It's been fun and hope to catch you next time. 
Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 